Well, this is a great celebration for many today as, as we celebrate fathers. And we're grateful for the fathers in this room and the influence that you have on your families and the influence that you have on our lives as well. And it's a privilege and, and a joy uh, to be recognized on a day like this. Uh, but it's also a very hard day for many. So as we celebrate, we also have a bit of mourning among us as we remember our fathers who have gone before us, or maybe you haven't had such a good example of what a father is in your life, um, or there could be some difficulty right now in your family. And I just wanna acknowledge that today and let you know that we are attuned to that and we are sensitive to those things and we are praying for you, have been praying for you, and I'm glad that you're here. Um, you know, so today, really, I mean, Father's Day is a celebration that we have kind of in our culture. Uh, but when it comes to the church, uh, really what I want to do today is I just want to say thank you to the men in this room. Every man in this room, every boy in this room, I just want to let you know it's a great joy to see you here today. I do think it's kind of the natural thing, and maybe you'll agree or disagree, and it's okay, whichever one, um, that when it's Mother's Day, there has the tendency that the, the ladies uh, and families tend to want to be among the church, and that's kind of a tradition. I, I see more so that it's for the men when it's Father's Day that they kind of want to go do a high they want to be out on the boat. They want to go out on the golf course or they want to take their family on a trip. Um, and that's not the case for everyone. But I just want to say that for you who are here today, it's good to see you. And, and I hope that you are most encouraged today. Um, ladies, this message today, you're going to hear me say man a lot or men a lot, but you can interject yourself into this as well, okay? I don't want you to think that this is just only a message for men, uh, but having said that, men, I want you to know that when it comes to Father's Day, uh, some have the idea of saying, you know, why don't, Brian, why do you guys, uh, when, you, when you preach, you know, you, you kind of step on toes on Mother's Day and, and Father's Day, and and I just want to let you know that I don't feel like it's me stepping on toes. Uh, I think we, we present scripture to you and scripture does the work uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit. And I, and I pray that that's what happens today. Uh, but I ask that you men in this room, that you would uh, most especially be attentive uh, to this message because you can definitely interject yourself into this narrative uh, that we're going to look at in Joshua chapter 7. And so I invite you to turn with me, indeed, Joshua chapter 7, which will be our main passage today. We're going to look at the whole chapter. And I know what some of you are thinking, oh, no, Brian, that's a lot of verses, and we know you, and so just be mindful of the clock. I have it right before me as if that means anything at this moment, okay? Um, but Joshua chapter 7, um, if you do not have a Bible, we want you to have a Bible. And so you'll notice in the pew in front of you, uh, there's a Bible right there. Hopefully you take that and uh, open up to page 182 and then you'll find yourself at Joshua chapter 7. And so where we're going today is I, I want to ask you this question, men, really you serve as a model in this local church. Every one of you, when you walk through the doors, there are eyes watching you. How will this man act and how will this man act and how will this man behave? How does he treat his children? How does he treat other people? Little eyes and, and many of the little feet that just ran out of here because they're excited uh, maybe to not hear me preach, but go to Kids Connection and have fun and jump around. Maybe we need to jump around in here. Uh, but they, they watch you. 
they're watching you, they're watching me. And so you do hold a role of, of a dad in this building uh, when it comes to setting an example. And so the question is, what model are you setting for the ones coming behind you? What is that model? The world says be successful. That's what the world's gonna encourage you to do. Be successful. Whatever you do, strive for success and everything will be good for you. Your dreams will come true. You know, shoot for the stars. If you miss the stars, you know, grab that trunk and moon, whatever thing on the way down, right? So be successful, but the Bible encourages us in a different way. God's word encourages us to be faithful. And so I want you to get your eyes off of success and put your eyes on Christ and focus on being faithful. Because Christian brothers, that's why we're here. Christian sisters, that's why we're here, to be faithful. And you're gonna see uh, the effects of not being faithful in scripture. And yet we'll also point out some passages where it is a good thing to be faithful. Uh, there was a man in our local church when growing up, I think I've mentioned him before, but I have to mention him again, especially because his name is so wonderful, Zeke Delafonte. Isn't that a great name? I mean, even when I spelled Delafonte, word check just said, uh, don't bother with it, we trust it's good, right? I mean, Delafonte, he uh, was in the local church, he was present. And so when I was a little kid, I did not like going to church. And so if you're a little kid in this room and you're like, why am I here? Okay, I'm standing up here now. And I'm just telling you when I was your age, I didn't like being in the local church, but I loved Zeke Delafonte because Zeke Delafonte was kind of like a father-like figure in the local church. And so when I would get out of line, he would say, hey, young man, I'll spank you uh, if, you don't, if you don't behave. And, and I believed him because my mom gave him all rights to do so. And he's one of those guys you just didn't want to get on the bad side. Uh, but then Zeke Delafonte was there when I preached my first message. Sitting, I mean, like on the third row and smiling, amening. I mean, nobody else was really amening. I don't even want to go back and listen to that sermon, the first one ever. It's pretty rough. But he amened, he smiled, he encouraged, and he played that father-like role in the local church. In fact, he was there the day that I got married to Curry. And he was there supporting, I think he even amen in, in the wedding. Um, I think, <laughs> there's Zeke, Zeke Delafonte's here. Um, and he was there to encourage us afterwards. He's been there in, in the big times in our lives. And you know what? He's, he's kind of been in the background. He hasn't had to be up front to where everybody sees him. Not that being in that role is necessarily bad, but he was good just being in the background and being supportive. Zeke Delafonte. So I encourage you, be a Zeke Delafonte. Be a faithful brother. Be encouraging, be faithful, men of integrity. That's what we're striving to be. We're not called to strive for success. We are to strive for faithfulness. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And, and we see that first part of Proverbs 3, 5. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. See, there it is. It's when we lean on our own understanding that we begin to strive for success. But when we trust in the Lord with all of our heart, that's where we're focusing on being faithful. So trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Be faithful and lean not on your success, your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. Some translations say may he will make your path straight. We, we need to be careful to understand. That doesn't mean straight and easy. It's just he is directing us on our way. And you're gonna see that mentioned here in Joshua chapter seven. Um, when, when the walls fall, they are to go straight in to the city. 
And when God provides for us daily, we are to continue to go straight forward to what he has provided for us. So here is the main question today that we have before us. What challenges does the faithful man of integrity face? What challenges? Because we don't naturally just walk in integrity. We're not naturally faithful. In fact, Striving for faithfulness is, is rather difficult. So let's look at four challenges today here in, in Joshua chapter seven. The first one that we see is pride. Pride. This is a challenge that all men face is our pride, especially after victory. Might we say especially after success is our pride. It begins to kick in even when we didn't do the work. And yet we begin to think that we are the hero of the narrative. And that's what we're gonna see with Achan today in Joshua chapter seven. A.W. Pink says this, as there was a serpent in the Eden and a Judas among the apostles, so there was an Achan in the midst of an obedient Israel. We're, we're looking at the fall of Jericho. And let me just say, there could not have been a, a more clear way to show that God is the victor than in Joshua chapter seven. Uh, he encourages them that your only weapon before the walls fall is gonna be your voice, but you can't even say anything for six days. No, once one trip around the city walls a day for six days and you're to keep silent. The only things that are gonna be blown are the horns. Everybody else, keep your mouth shut because you know, you know, there's that guy who would have been walking around talking trash, right? Saying, hey, we, we coming for you, Jericho. We coming, all right? And he said, hey, just keep your mouth shut, all right? Keep your mouth shut. Just walk around. Observe and know that on day seven, you're gonna do this seven times. And then when you're finished, then you're gonna shout. And so the only weapon they had were their voices. And they were gonna shout and here's what they did. They walked around on the seventh time. He says, okay, now shout. And they all raised their voices and the walls fell. Yeah, that doesn't happen every day. And no, it does not. But it happened on this day because God said it would. And as the walls fell down, they ran straight into the city. And then they did have sword and they killed every man, woman, and child. And you may have conflict with that. You may say that's not fair, but listen, God was showing his wrath towards the people who did not love him. And he was very just to do so. And he used the Israelites to complete this task. And so much like Noah showing patience in building the ark before the worldwide flood, the Israelites showed patience as they walked around the wall every day until the final day. And at that final day, that's when they went into the city. So that is where we pick up in Joshua chapter seven and verse one. But the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things. For Achan, the son of Karamai, the son, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things and the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, or Ai, but since we're here in South Georgia, I'm going with Ai, which is near Beth-Avon, east of Bethel. And he said to them, go up and spy out the land. And the men went up and spied out Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said to him, do not have all the people go up, but let about two or 3,000 men go up and attack Ai. Do not make the whole people toil up there, for they are few. So about 3,000 men went up from there 
and the people. And they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai killed about 36 of their men and chased them before the gates as far as Shabarim and struck them at the descent. And the hearts of the people melted and became as water. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until the evening, he and the elders of Israel. And they put dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all? To give us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? Would that we have been content to dwell beyond the Jordan. O Lord, what can I say when Israel has turned their backs before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it and will surround us and cut off our name from the earth. And what will you do for your great name? And so here we see pride. Pride among these men. Now, let me just tell you, they were commanded in Joshua chapter six that when the walls fall, you are not to take anything of the devoted things to yourselves. You are to leave those and you are to kill every man, woman, and child. So all that Achan did was that he would shout and he takes advantage of a terrified prey. And he goes and does what the Lord commands him to do. But then he convinces himself that he would take from the devoted things of God. The thing is, this was God's treasure, not man's treasure. And Achan saw it as his to take. I mean, hey, it's not every day that you shout and walls fall down, right? So I need to take advantage of this moment. Let me take some treasure for myself. A great victory, but immediate pride. His eyes were focused on himself and not on the Lord. And the pride of victory takes root in the heart of Achan and spreads throughout the camp. So that lie in which you tell yourself when you sin that this will only affect me, I'm sure that's what Achan told himself. If I take this treasure, it's it's only gonna bother me. I mean, it's, it's just my problem. But no, immediately when he acts out, he acts out on behalf of all of Israel. And the pride begins to spread throughout the camp. And so when we think as a church that our sins only impact us in our home, in the privacy of our home, in the private life, we need to be careful. We need to be attentive to understand that our sins spread beyond just us can spread throughout the whole camp. And the men become prideful, verse three, and they returned to Joshua and said to him, do not have all the people go up, but let about two or 3,000 men go up and attack Ai. Not make the whole people toil up there, for they are few. These men didn't even know where the sinful pride was coming from. They didn't even know they were being prideful. They thought, hey, God's provided for us up to this point. Let us go. Let's not take everybody. We only need a couple thousand men to do this. But God allows them to remain prideful. And I want you to listen very carefully to this. This is a fearful position to be in when God allows us to remain in our sin. We may think we're getting away with something and God's saying, no, I'm giving you over to it. And I'm giving you over to destruction because sin brings forth death and destruction. 
A.W. Pink says this, one decayed apple will soon infect a whole box of sound ones. Or to change the figure for a more scriptural one, a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. And here, one apple begins to spread to all apples, this sin, this corruption. Don't think that you can just jump in and out of sinful behavior anytime you like. That's another lie that we fall into. That we can just commit one sin. Hey, you know what? I'm just going to take a day off or I'm going to take a moment off. I'm going to take a morning off. I'm going to take a night off and I'm just going to enjoy sinful behavior. And you know what? Tomorrow is going to be a new day. Okay. Joy comes in the morning. All right. And so I'm going to have that joy in the morning. I'm going to commit the sin right now all is well. And then you find yourself waking up the next day still in that sin. Downcast, broken, hurting, disqualified to serve that day. And it's you feeling this way. You know exactly what I'm talking about, follower of Christ, because we've all been there. We've all been like Achan. And so we think that remaining in this sin can be a reward. You may remain in that sin longer than you are expecting. And so here's the deal. Here's how it's spread throughout the camp. They've gone from men who say, hey, we're like grasshoppers in their sights. That was their ancestors when they were to spy out Canaan. Hey, we're, we're like grasshoppers. We can't go. And it was Joshua and Caleb who says, we've got this. Let's go. But yet now these men are overconfident. They're not lacking in any confidence. They think that they're giants now. And so... Can we think we're giants when the Lord provides victories in our lives? And in fact, many of our temptations come after great victories, don't they? After you have uh, a great moment or a great trip, a great week, students. I mean, y'all look awesome in your t-shirts this week. I mean, today y'all had a great week and and you think, hey, I'm good. The things I was struggling with before camp, not going to struggle with anymore but you may face those things in the next couple of weeks. Listen to this, here's why. And and, in fact, this is a natural thing. I mean, I I, I love sports, don't apologize for that. Uh, And when you watch a sports team and and, and your team does really well one week and and then you begin to talk trash, I mean, because you just put up 70 points or whatever and it's football, you know? I mean, why are we scoring 70 points in football? I don't know, okay, let's get back to defense. Defense, right, all right, but no, we we, want to score a lot of points. So, So your team puts up a lot of points, and then you go, hey, we're winning national championship. It's good, man. It's good. And then next week, you get beat by Carson Newman. I don't know, somebody like that. Anybody go to Carson Newman? Sorry if I offended you, but okay. All right, nobody. All right, we're good. And you go, why did that happen? Why did that happen? Because you're not playing to your highest level every week. And when it comes to the success that we have in life, we say, you know what? I'm successful. I've got this but there's a difference in those who strive for faithfulness. Those who strive for faithfulness recognize that God provided that victory, you know, and I have to remain faithful. I better remain faithful tomorrow because just because I had victory today doesn't mean I'll have victory tomorrow. And so for Achan, he's thinking, hey, we've got this. These men are thinking, hey, we've got this. So they move forward in their pride. Our fight for holiness, striving to remain faithful, never ends while we're here on this earth. 
It never ends. You think, when can I just coast? You can't. You cannot coast as a follower of Christ, but you can strive to remain faithful. Proverbs 4, 23 through 27. And I love that this week, these kids, these students had about 10 memory verses that they had to memorize throughout camp. And they were memorizing. They had to come up to leaders and say, hey, will you sign off on this? And they would quote the memory verses. It's it's wonderful because it just shattered the whole thing that, hey, I can't memorize scripture. You know, I'm not smart enough. You know, know, no, these kids, they're bright. And you adults, you're bright and you're filled with the Holy Spirit. Hide the word of God in your hearts because here's what it does for our hearts. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Another translation says, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Guard the heart. Be prepared. And this is what the word continues to say. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. Every day we are tempted to swerve to the right or to the left. Every day we're tempted to walk into evil. So we must remain faithful by guarding our hearts. But what about the hearts of the people that are in Joshua chapter 7? Their hearts were melted. They melted. They were fearful of God after they go and they get whipped in battle. God melts the hearts of the prideful. He allowed his people to learn an important lesson through tragedy. Why? So that his will would be done. So listen, you may strive after that sin and God may say, have it. And what are you gonna learn through that tragedy? What are you gonna learn through that difficulty of embracing that sin? Whatever the outcome may be, here's what, a follower of Christ will indeed learn as he perseveres or she perseveres through the outcome is that his will is to be done, not man's will. So number two, we want our will over God's will. What challenges do we face? Number two, we want our will over God's will. Read with me, Joshua 7, 10 through 12. And the Lord said to Joshua, get up. Don't you love that? Just pause right there. Uh, so Joshua says, why? I mean, what about your name? What are our enemies going to think? They're going to triumph over us. And here's his response. Get up. Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. Therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies because they have become devoted for destruction. He gave them this command. If you'll look with me in Joshua 6, 18 and 19. But you keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction, lest when you have devoted them, you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. But all silver and gold and every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. So here's the response of God to Joshua. He said, I told you why. You want to know why your men are acting like this? You want to know why you were just defeated? Why 36 men just died? You want to know why? Because you took it to devoted things. And he said, well, Joshua didn't know. But do you understand this plurality here? One man's sin has spread throughout the camp. Why? Because he wanted his will over God's will. And God does not show pity towards Joshua. He tells him, get up. 
And the truth is we need to get up and honor God. There are too many times when we wanna go before God and we wanna ask why and, and why is this happening in our lives and we begin to feel sorry for ourselves and we say, I will never get over this sin. I'll always deal with this sin. Instead, we need to get up and honor God. That's what we need to do in the moment. And today, church, I challenge you to get up and honor God each and every day of your life because you have been gifted with the ability to do so through the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, it's the small view of God, which says, my will be done on earth. And God, you just do your thing in heaven. You know, the whole big guy in the sky and I'll be a big fish in a little pond thing. I don't know when you pray. I mean, the thing is when we pray, God's not like our buddy. Yo, God, what's up, man? How's it going? You ever heard somebody just pray like that? Just, hey, you know, me and God are on a tight, look, God's holy. God the Father is holy. He is not your buddy in the sky. He's not the big guy in the sky either, right? See, we talk about God as if he's so distant and disconnected from everything, and that's dangerous because that was Achan. He thought, you know what? Yeah, you provided the walls, but you're kind of distant. You're away. I see this treasure here. I'm going to take it. I'm going to do my thing on earth, my will on earth. Your will be done in heaven. You know, I'm all yours when I die. In fact, that's the kind of the attitude of many Christians. God, you can have me. You can have every bit of me. You can have all my obedience, all my worship, all of that. Yeah, whatever heaven's all about. Yeah, you can just have that when I die. But the call of salvation is that you die to yourself now. You die now. And his will is to be done through you now. And so when man seeks his own will before God's, he begins to justify his sinful actions. That's the trouble. Amen. Hey, we're good at this. We can justify while we pout, right? Yeah, any hey, wives, can I get an amen if you ever see any pouting going on in the home? Yeah. Oh, you're too kind. All right. I've hung out with some of these guys. All right. Especially in sporting events. <laughs> all right. Yeah. All right. So we pout. We pout when we don't get our way. We become disconnected from others. But let me just give you a rundown because if, you know what? If we're talking about Achan, let me just give you an alliteration, okay? Because maybe you'll remember this, all right? If you don't remember anything else. Here, here are some things of why we justify our sin. One, affirmation. We don't get the affirmation that we think we need. When we walk through the door of home and, and, and in our home and, and everybody doesn't stop to recognize us when we walk through the door. Life's still going on. Kids are running around. The wife's doing her thing. And hey, what about me? Where's my affirmation? Where's my appreciation? I wish I could just only count on one hand how many men I've heard say that of why they entertained affairs in their lives because they've said, I wasn't appreciated. I wasn't appreciated. But just because you're not appreciated doesn't mean that you go breaking a covenant because it's based on God's faithfulness. And if you want affirmation, you just look at what being a child of God's all about. And yet I know that that's something that hits at the heart of, of many of us in the room. But also adoration. When we're not praised, maybe you were praised when you were younger. Maybe you were told you were special by your parents and that's a good thing, not a bad thing, but you really thought you were more special than everybody else. I mean, you've been that guy or I've been that guy. You've been around that guy who thinks, you know, there's something different about me than everybody else on this earth and, and I need to be told that, those things. But when you're not told those things, then you justify 
going into sinful behavior. Maybe it's just only attention. I just want to be noticed in the room or it's anger. I'm angry at the things that are happening. And because I'm angry, this is how I'm going to act out. You know, you just need to let me be in the flesh for a little bit here. Maybe it's apathy. You just don't care. You've gotten to a point in life where you don't care. Maybe you're in this room right now and you don't care about anything. Your heart is so hard and cold. And so just an attitude of of apathy, of not caring, you entertain sin because it's just kind of like, you know what? What's it matter anyway? What's it matter? Or it could just be pure arrogance that you think that you'll actually get away with these things. And God's not that God up in in the sky waiting to send down lightning bolts every time you mess up. No, Jesus took the lightning bolts. He took the wrath for you on the cross, Christian. But you're not getting away with your sin. And so Achan, I think he fell into some of these categories. And when we look to scripture in Isaiah 42, verse 8 We read this, I am the Lord, this is my name, my glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Isaiah 48, 11, for my own sake, for my own sake I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. So whatever your excuses are, when we sin, when I sin, I am seeking the glory. And God has already told us in scripture, he said, I will not share my glory with any of you. It's my name because if if you take on my name, you're going to mess it up. You're going to ruin it. It's not going to take you very long. So it's his name, his glory. And this is where Achan steps in. He says, no, 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 no. My will be done. My glory be achieved. Number three, we reject giving God all the glory due to his name. Read with me, Joshua 7, 13 through 19. Get up, consecrate the people and say, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow, for thus says the Lord God of Israel, there are devoted things in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the devoted things from among you. In the morning, therefore, you shall be brought near by your tribes, and the tribe that the Lord takes by lot shall come near by clans, and the clan that the Lord takes shall come near by households, and the household that the Lord takes shall come near by near man by man. And he who is taken with the devoted things shall be burned with fire, he and all that he has, because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord, and because he has done an outrageous thing in Israel." Verse 16, so Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel near tribe by tribe and the tribe of Judah was taken and he brought near the clans of Judah and the clans of the Zerites was taken and he brought near the clan of the Zerites man by man and Zabdi was taken and he brought near his household man by man and Achan the son of Carmi, the son of Zebdi, the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah was taken. Then Joshua said to Achan, My son, give glory to the Lord God of Israel and give praise to him and tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And so a few things that we would point out here is that God is jealous for his own glory. You know, it is is cute. 
when your children put on your shoes and they try to walk across the house and, you know, you, they stumble everywhere and you take pictures. I mean, that's, that's cute. It, it is. I mean, it just does something in my heart to, to see my boys walking in my shoes and to think that one day they'll, they'll fill those shoes and, and hopefully they'll fill them a lot better than I have. But it's not cute when we try to lace up God's shoes, when we try to take the role of God the Father. God doesn't look at that and go, oh, that's precious. I hope that one day you'll be able to fill my shoes like I've been able to. No, it doesn't happen that way. You know, just in the same way, it's not cute when your children talk back to you and you go, oh, that's, that's just what they do. Uh-uh, no, mm-mm. Doesn't happen. <laughs> Sorry, no. I'm just going to tell you, man, when your kids start talking back to you, can I, can I take a time out? I'm going to do it, Joe. You got it? All right. When your kids talk back to you, you need to teach them respect, okay? You need to teach them respect. So dads, I'm talking to you. Dads, if your kids start talking back to you like they own the house, don't just, don't roll your eyes. Don't shrug your shoulders and don't say, mama, go take care of it. Uh, you take care of it. You take care of it. Why? Because you're big and bad? Because you're macho? Because you're the man of the house? No, none of those things because you model your fatherhood after our father God. And he does not take that lightly when he is mocked and when he is toyed with and he's made light of. And when you just make up things about his fatherhood to suit your own needs, he's not pleased with those things. So that's why dads, when your children mock you, you don't just roll your eyes, shrug your shoulders, you pull them aside, you look them in the eyes and you say, son, you don't talk to me that way. I'm your father and I love you and I'm here to raise you as best as I can before my father, God. And you say, now I'm gonna discipline you. Yeah, I'm gonna discipline you. And I don't like to discipline you. It hurts my heart when I have to discipline you but I'm gonna discipline you because right now you have to learn how dangerous this is to mock my role. And then after you discipline your child, you hug your child and you tell your child you love them. And might I suggest, well, I'm just giving you parental advice right now, okay, that you do not discipline with your hand because those are gonna be the hands that you wrap around your child. You're gonna tell your children you love them. And the next thing you do is you're going to pray for your children. And you're going to pray that they would not mock that role, that they would understand the importance of how God has designed the home. And you would pray for them. You would pray for their salvation. You would pray for their growth in Christ. Men, that's how we need to act in the home. Amen? So, I guess we're back in play. Here it is. It's just not cute. Because God is jealous for his own glory. And here, here's the thing, Achan took these devoted things and he thought, you know what, this is a treasure. But then he had to hide those devoted things. Do you understand that's what sin is? You have to hide sin. And the deception of sin is that it's, it's so worth it that you hide it and you don't share it with anybody else. Or when you begin to share it with other people, it begins to corrupt those who are around you. Here's what happens. It's a job. It is a task to hide sin. We're talking about hidden sin. It's a job to hide your sin. It is burdensome. This is not what God has set aside for you in salvation to 
quietly entertain sin. And Achan has been hiding his sin. He's been, he put it under his tent and now he's been told that you're going to be burned. You're going to be stoned, burned, killed. Consecrate yourselves. At that moment, what keeps Achan from stepping forward and saying, it's me. It's me. It's in my tent. We don't have to go through tomorrow. It's in my tent. Do to me whatever. Because then he's told that this will also come to the family. And he says, nothing, nothing. Do you see what sin does? Boost your glory. And you become selfish and thinking only about you. I become selfish and only think about me. I don't think about how it impacts my wife or my children or the church or the community. No, I'm thinking it's just me problem. No, it's not just a me problem. It wasn't a me problem here. This was an Israelite problem. This was a problem in the camp. Achan came from the tribe of Judah. They would receive the largest portion when they settle in Canaan. The largest portion of land would go to Judah. In Genesis 49.10, they were to be the royal and ruling tribe from Judah. Caleb was from the tribe of Judah. They took the lead on the march across the wilderness Judah was taking the lead, and of all clans, of all tribes, it's Judah. Matthew Henry says this, since Judah was to have the largest lot in Canaan, the more inexcusable is one of that tribe, if not content to wait for his own share, he break in upon God's property. And that's what Achan did. He broke in on God's property. So what can we learn from this? We can learn several things, but here's the key thing I want to point out right now is that no family is immune to hidden sin. It's not a family in this room who's immune to it. All across this room, there's hidden sin. And you know what? You may fear that if I confess my sin so that I can be healed, and, and that's what you want is to be healed, you're so afraid to confess sin. We're so afraid to confess sin. You know Why? because of what it may do to our family name. What will this do to our family? Well, as long as you keep that sin hidden, it's gonna to continue to bring corruption in your family. So may we learn from this passage. Think about all that we have received in Christ Jesus. Think about all that lies before us, all that is to come, eternity. And yet there are things that we want to hold on to now as if they're precious treasure. And we find ourselves being just like Achan saying, I mean, I deserve it, right? I mean, just for a little while at least. There's no way you can hold on to that treasure and still keep your eyes on Christ. You must take your eyes off Christ and put your eyes on yourself, which leads to number four, we attempt to hide our sins. In Joshua 7, 20 through 26, let's read of these secret sins being exposed. And Achan answered Joshua, truly I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel. And this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar 
and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels. Then I coveted them and took them and see they are hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. So Joshua sent messengers and they ran to the tent and behold, it was hidden in his tent with the silver underneath. And they took them out of the tent and brought them to Joshua and to all the people of Israel. And they laid them down before the Lord and Joshua and Israel, all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, and the silver and the cloak and the bar of gold and his sons and daughters and his oxen and donkeys and sheep and his tent and all that he had. And they brought them up to the valley of Accor. And Joshua said, why did you bring trouble on us? The Lord brings trouble on you today. And all Israel stoned him with stones. They burned them with fire and stoned them with stones. And they raised over him a great heap of stones that remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his burning anger. Therefore, to this day, the name of that place is called the Valley of Accor. Wow, very sobering passage. What happened? He saw, he coveted, and he took. Men, we're gonna see many things that we should not see. But at that point, we are to turn our eyes from those things. Job 31.1, I have covenanted with my eyes not to look lustfully at a woman. We are gonna see many things with our eyes. But just because you've seen those things does not mean that you have now sinned. It is when you see them and you covet. And I'm talking about accidentally seeing things. Don't, please don't take this with license and say, oh, I can look as long as I don't covet. No, I think it's impossible. When you begin to look and you begin to gaze, you begin to covet. And I'm not just talking about lust. I'm talking about things in life, what other people have. Striving after what others have and being unsatisfied in your life because you don't have what other people have. This is just as dangerous, just as much as a problem in our culture as lust is a problem in our culture. And then he took. He took the things that did not belong to him. Why? Because he saw, he coveted, he took. And once he took the treasure, it dawned on him. This wasn't what he expected. It was gonna take work to keep these things hidden. It's never worth it to entertain sin. It's never worth it. It's never worth it to take it and to conceal and let it remain hidden. Whatever your fear is, I pray for you today that you will fear no more and that you have a trusted brother, man going to man or woman going to woman, or, or you wanna come and talk to us as pastors, that you will confess your sin and be healed because there's hidden sin all among us. And I don't know what that hidden sin is because it's hidden. And you may think it's not bothering anybody but me. And there Achan is standing and he's waiting and they call his tribe and then they call his extended family and then they call his internal family and then they call him. And there he is exposed. What was he thinking that whole time as they're standing there as a million people and he's going, I know it's me. I know it's me, but might I get away with this? Might I get away with it? Maybe somebody else took it to the other things. Maybe it's going to go on them. But it was him. Nothing is hidden before the eyes of the Lord. It may be hidden from your family. It may be hidden from your workplace. 
It may be hidden from the church, but it's not hidden before the Lord. Proverbs 15, 3, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. And we're grateful that we have such a good father who keeps watch on everything. Nothing escapes him. What a peace, right? But if you hear that and you go, oh no, then what is it you're so afraid of? Submit that to the Lord. Psalm 33, 18 and 19, behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. See, there can be comfort in being under the watch of the Lord. So I think that's a good measure right there that if you are fearful that, the, that God sees everything at this moment, submit these things to him. And two, had your life in Christ. Trust that Jesus Christ died for you on the cross, paid for your sins all at once on the cross. Look to Jesus. And when you're hidden in Christ, that means that when he sees you, he sees his righteousness. So what is actually taking place when we attempt to conceal our sin? This is it as we close. Here's what is actually physically taking place. I believe we get this model from Acts 5.3. This is what actually takes place when we try to hide our sin. You're saying, what does this look like, Brian? How can you put it into play for us? Here it is, scripture does. So Acts 5.3, but Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land. So here's how it falls out. Just looking at that verse, here's what happens. We submit to Satan's lies. We say, okay, I'm just gonna feed into that lie. The things that we talked about earlier, we justify our sin. The next thing is we lie to the Holy Spirit. We lie to the Holy Spirit. We act as if it's not a problem, that God's okay with it, and he's given us the spirit to live inside of us, so there's no escaping God. And we lie to the Holy Spirit and to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. We keep pushing it away, pushing it away, pushing it away. No, I'm not ready to give it up. No, I'm not ready to give it up. No, I'm not ready to give it up. I'm going to hide it in my tent. I'm going to hide it in my tent. And then when we get up and we move to the next place, I'm going to take it and I'm going to keep it hidden and I'm going to bury it again and I'm going to uproot it again and I'm going to bury it again. And finally, when we get to Canaan, I'm going to have it and and then I'm going to have to always hide this sin. You're always going to have to hide the sin. Always. The freedom is when you say, Lord, I have sinned. Take it. But we reject that conviction and we hold on to what is not ours to keep. And this is the same with Achan. When we're holding on to the things that are not ours to keep, we ignore the truth that we see in God's word. Galatians 5.1, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Church, May we be free in Christ. Men, may you be free in Christ. If there is hidden sin among us in this local church, know that you can come forward and confess your sin. You say, well, how can I do that? Because what is everybody going to think? Would you just scan the room real quick? Really, would you just look? Can you so boldly just look to the person next to you? People around here, there's hidden sin all among us. And we're not in freedom when we hold on to it. In fact, here's the deal. This whole story of Achan, we could just interject Adam, couldn't we? Think about this. Pride, after victory, (laughs) after being given everything, 
He was prideful. Uh, he wanted his will over God's will, so he took and ate. He rejected giving God all the glory due his name. And number three or four, he attempted to hide his sin. I mean, that's, that's Adam. That's also us. In our, in our pride, we sin. We want our will over God's will. We reject giving God all the glory due his name and we attempt to hide our sins. I mean, we interject ourselves too. What does that tell us? We're all alike in this. And there's only one who is not like us. It's Jesus Christ. So all of your hope is in Christ. I pray that we will be set free from burdens, from struggles, from deep, dark secrets in this local church. You say, Brian, why, why, why are you getting it? Why are you going? I believe, I believe the scripture reveals this to us, guys. This isn't a personal agenda, believe me. You say, Brian, you preach stuff like this. People aren't gonna give. It's <laughs> not why we preach. People aren't gonna attend if you preach something like this. Well, you know what? Then you're attending for the wrong reasons. What does scripture reveal to us? We're all the same. And yet, there's one who is not like us, Jesus Christ. And so as we close, I wanna say this to the men in this room. I'm genuine when I'm telling you that if you're struggling with something and you need a brother in Christ, I'm here for you. I hope you get that. I hope you understand that. But if you need to seek reconciliation with somebody in the room today or this week, do so. Lay down that pride. Give all glory to God that's due his name. Treasure Christ above all things. Let us pray. Father, thank you for our time together. And Lord, I pray that as we have examined the scriptures, uh, a large chapter today and breaking it down, Lord, we know that we're all guilty somewhere along the line and maybe even right now of hiding certain sins. Hoping that one day we'll just get over it or that no one will know. Lord, I pray for the brothers and sisters in this room that are enjoying this sin right now. God, I pray that you would so work in their hearts right now. Would you just give them the worst aftertaste? Would you just give them a strong conviction through the Holy Spirit to hate that sin? Father, I pray that we would be a people who pray to you regularly and confess our sin. Not having to be afraid of you because we know that Christ has taken on that wrath for us. What freedom. Lord, this salvation in Christ, this grace does not lead us to sin all the more, but it leads us to sin less and to sin less and to sin less. Father, may we go from this place today striving to be faithful in sinning less and sinning less and sinning less. So God, I don't, at the sake of, of, of any attempt to manipulate or to try to stir within heart something that I'm not capable of doing, I ask that you do this, Lord. And God, may there be freedom among us that we may go continue to spread your name, that others may repent and follow Christ, and that we would enjoy giving you glory 
and enjoy you forever. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.